this heaven? No. It's Iowa. dare to face the challenge of the fun house if you listen we will pod this is eric and ben with the incredibly special guest brian eggert from deep focus reviews brian thanks for joining thanks for having me back we are super stoked you, you came back and yes, you came back with with the uh, with some thunder with your pick for for this week the fun house it's part two of spooky season and you got to pick the movie and you picked the fun house a movie i have to say i had never heard of in my entire life so i was very delighted really but yeah really i mean uh, it toby and eric and this is this is going to be brian litigates ben and eric dorky arguments it's toby hooper right i i believe so i, I don't think it's tobe i thought okay. it was uh, for the longest time i thought it was tobe i straight up like googled how to pronounce his name and it said toby hooper so it's toby okay. yes I, i'm i am ignorant when it comes to that sort of thing Got it. Okay. I'm just always delighted kinda, for a chance to be right. I kind of wish it was Tobe, actually. That would be, maybe that was his nickname. Everybody just called him Tobe. No, yeah, it could, could be. But, you know, I'd never heard of this. So it's like, great. And I didn't, you know, I was like, all right, I, I certainly trust Brian. I will just, I'm going to go in totally blind. Um, but I'd love to know why you picked this. Of all the scary movies you could have picked, why The Fun House? Well, I, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Toby Hooper to start with. Um, this movie has always sort of stuck with me for a few reasons. Um, one, it's it's quite grotesque, and I really love that about it. Um, I also have just kind of this fascination with this sub subgenre of slasher movies, which is um, slashers that take place at carnivals. Okay. Uh, I, I, I just like this. I don't know why. It's just my lizard brain fear of carnivals and, and my love of horror movies kind of, kind of combine into this, into this subgenre. And uh, so there are a few movies like um, a really good one is from 20, I think 18 called Hellfest that I really enjoyed. Um, mostly panned by other critics, but I enjoyed it. Um, Haunt is another one. If you have shutter, that's on uh, shutter uh, from 2019. Um, 
these are all pretty obscure movies, but the house houses October built is another I've seen one that. that's I've seen that. Yeah, that's where the travel around they go to the haunted houses. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. Um, I think a, and then a similar one is Hell House LLC, which I think is a fun footage movie. Yep, seen that as um, well. I like that. Yeah. That movie's pretty yeah. creepy. That was a creepy movie. It, it is, yeah. And I like Hellfest is probably my favorite of those. Um, and it's very similar to um, the Funhouse in the sense that it's following a bunch of kids at, at, at in this case, it's a horror theme park in Hellfest, and Hellfest, and there's like a slasher type killer who just goes to horror theme parks and, and kills people. It's very unflinching and very uh, nightmarish. But anyway, the, the reason I picked this movie, I guess, is I think it's. Um, so I guess a little background on me is I, before getting a master's in, in film studies, I got a, a degree in art history and I was super into like painting and, and Renaissance art. Um, so this is going to be a long roundabout to, to, to sure, um, no, give us the context. Yeah. Uh, to the fun house. So, um, so I studied grotesque uh, art, um, Renaissance art, Netherlandish art. Uh, Peter Bruegel the Elder, if you know who that is. You've probably seen his paintings if you don't know who he is. Sure. Um, but um, basically he would paint these subjects that were like, um, in some cases, deformed or like festival behavior, people getting drunk or wearing these gross masks. Um, and so this, this whole idea of the grotesque goes back to um, – there was this Renaissance era writer. He's this French writer um, named Francois Rabelais. And he wrote a lot about, uh, wrote a lot of satire, these sort of like taboo subjects about like body deformations and vulgarity and, and drinking and, you know, sex and just abject scenes, uh, which was really like a kind of a confrontation to the classical forms of art, which are, you know, very like idealized. So, uh, yeah, there's this Russian again, uh, kind of going going off in a weird tangent, but uh, take there's us this there. Russian take literary, us there, Brian. <laughs> all right. So there's this Russian literary critic named Mikhail Bakhtin who wrote this book in 1968 called Rabelais and His World, and he really put this guy Rabelais, this Francois Rabelais, into perspective, and he's he's um, really and associating. Just, uh, just to Ray- recap, this is the Renaissance grotesque painter who liked the uh, group. Am I, uh, so Fr- Francois Rabelais is this guy who's writing about this kind of art and okay, he's and he's writing some fiction uh, okay. about that and he's writing grotesque stories and sort of sort of sticking it to the to the mainstream. Okay. So it, Rabelais ideas really didn't become like solidified in like like cultural theory until this guy Mikhail Bakhtin, this Russian critic, uh, wrote this book called Rabelais in this world. So a lot of what I'm saying is in in reference to that. Um, so anyway, but this critic uh, Bakhtin uh, is charting this this term grotesque from its like cl- classical understanding and like the entomology of the word is that it comes from grata this like Roman which is like subjects that are that are carved into Roman baths or like on illuminations and in, in holy books, like little devils and stuff like that that you'd see in otherwise like situations where you're supposed to be seeing beautiful things. So it's this um, what he calls like a, a gross violation of natural forms, which, uh, it, you know, if you're watching this movie, you get get what where I'm going with this. So um, 
basically that's the long way of getting around to this idea of the grotesque as this interest in like sort of trivial or base subjects um, or like people wearing monstrous masks uh, or warped gargoyle faces, like I said, on the, uh, on the exterior of, of holy structures. And so um, there's this standard of like, you know, as I mentioned, the, idealized subjects and this just sort of sticks it in the face of that and i think what's so interesting about that and where i associate that with this movie is that that's kind of the space that both this painter that i mentioned peter bruegel the elder who uh you know was painting in uh, 16th century and who was painting the kind of stuff that you would see actually in in the funhouse um this is Hooper's like playground. And I think it's evident in, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it's evident in um, his other movies, especially this one where he just likes to take you to a place that you're not supposed to go and show you things that are abject and twisted and show you, especially in this movie, what, how nature can go wrong and kind of take you to like the fringes of, of, of acceptable behavior behavior and like the margins of society and show you how twisted it is out there and then laugh at at it um and that's a lot of what the grotesque was all about it was about like looking at these you know like there's a famous painting where this guy is like a flower up his bum and that you're just supposed to like laugh at him because he's got a flower up his anus um and so i mean that, okay. that's just kind of, that's that just silly. kind of the stuff yeah it is silly and i mean that's just how you know when you're used to seeing like the madonna or something like that or you know sure. that's something that's out of the ordinary so you're supposed to kind of laugh at this stuff um and i think i don't know if you guys you know have read about anything about like T- toby hooper and what he was like on film sets but he would just like create these horrible situations and then just like laugh his way through. Like he thought Texas Chainsaw Massacre was basically supposed to be a comedy. Um, And whenever somebody would like watch it and laugh at it, he'd be like, yeah, you get it. You get what I'm trying to do. And so he's playing with these horrific elements and then also trying to like make you laugh at how uncomfortable it's making you. Um, So when I watch the fun house, this is like the perfect distillation of taking you to a place that's so uncomfortable and to a place where you're supposed to be having fun and then twisting it into this like nightmare. And yet also like you're having fun watching it cause it's so abject and terrible. Um, so there's a, all this kind of, you know, high minded cultural nonsense. It's just a, just a way of me saying that, that there's some theoretical backing to what he's doing here and it's not just like a like a stupid horror movie i don't think it's 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 actually thinking about like nature and twisting nature and things that actually happen in nature that we don't see except for at these spaces like in a carnival and we don't even see that anymore like we can't go to the minnesota state fair and see a see a freak show anymore because we've we've taken that away but Toby Hooper likes this kind of stuff and he wants he wants to kind of rub your face in it a little. Sure. No, uh, that's all really, really great stuff. Um, the parts of it that were working the absolute best for me was this atmosphere, vibes, setting. I mean, it was yeah. – there's so many little strands that – I mean, they may – you've probably done a deeper dive in this, but they don't have an immediate or, or visceral payoff. 
uh, early on there at the carnival, we see a guy who I guess he's drunk and he also looks bloody. He's yeah. just wandering around and like, I didn't know where the plot was going. I didn't know if we were going to do supernatural. I didn't know if we were sacrificing to the devil. I, I didn't know where this was going to go at all. And I just see, okay, there's this weird guy and it looked like it was going to build up some tension and we never, I mean, we see the guy again, but he, he doesn't really factor into the plot at all. And then there's that woman in the bathroom who says, God is watching you. God is watching you. And it's crazy. Yeah. And then in this wonderful little shot, like she's not in focus. They're calling the two teen girls are calling their mom to say, Hey, let's, uh, you know, I'm staying at my friend's house and so they can spend the night there and get laid. And she's in the background, like just like eavesdropping out of focus, just creepily there. And we see her scare the little brother. And that's it. I mean, it's not part of any, I mean, thematically it's probably really relevant, but plot wise, it just doesn't matter. And it's just really creepy and unresolved. And there's lots of this just unsettling vibes the whole time. It's uncomfortable. And the kids are there to laugh at it. And they're actually kind of obnoxious and kind of, I I found them kind of annoying right there. And they're cackling at, you know, was Zeta, the, you know, fortune teller and just trying to get a little glimpsed. And, you know, there's this culture class and there's the whole mood was just really, really tense for, I would say about two thirds, the last third, it just becomes a little bit more silly. This is kind of ridiculous. We're going to do the slasher um, stuff here in the fun house. And, and that's fun for a long time. It was like, Oh, where's this going? It's just kind of uncomfortable and anxious. Yeah. I mean, the movie for me was, I I was anticipating like, you know, Brian, you're saying like a carnival slasher movie. Like I was like, I'm sort of the same way you are. Like I'm on board for that. Anytime you say it's in a carnival, there's like murder and, and violence and just creepy shit like that. That does it for me. But then like, you know, this movie starts that way where you have these four kids who are just kind of going through this weird, creepy carnival, which like, me thinking about that, like like you're saying, Brian, those, those don't exist anymore in that way where you're going under tents and looking at stuff you're not supposed to see. Like, there's no there's no festivals or carnivals like that anymore. I mean, I don't even remember going to things like that, but I do remember the carnies kind of being scary in a way that they aren't anymore. Um, and yeah. this idea of seeing, like, freaks, like deformities, that you're not going to see that at the state fair now. You know, it just doesn't exist. But then it takes this like hard turn to basically these kids w- witnessing a murder, and then the murderers trying to kill them because they witnessed it. And it's sort of this thriller uh, who just, I mean, it just happens the person that's trying to kill him is this deformed sort of creature guy. Um, deformed human. Yeah, I suppose he is. He is yeah, a human a, being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's fine. He's got he's got giant fangs and everything but yeah he's technically human I think yeah. he probably has i yeah i guess i assume he has the same amount of chromosomes as other i don't know we don't know yeah but but, but that yeah, whole scene he is a monster basically, the whole scene yeah. where where he kills the woman and then the his dad as his dad right the carnival barker guy yeah. comes back yeah. and he's talking like how are we going to cover it up I, for whatever reason that whole scene triggered like Pulp Fiction vibes for me with the gimp and that just that like shocking like holy shit this is like I'm not supposed to be watching something like this like the first time I saw Pulp Fiction I was just blown away by that scene Um, and that's what I kind of felt like with this whole scene is like okay it's carnival there's like creepy shit jumping out and then there's this like murder you know where he kills these women and takes their money and like then the dad's trying to cover up and trying to figure out what they have to do next and then he they hear the the guys above him where his lighter falls like it just it triggered like Tarantino must love this movie I don't know and maybe he's he's (laughs) never said anything about it but um, you know then you know talked about like Chainsaw Massacre like 
that movie to oh, me yeah. feels more like a documentary than a than a horror movie and uh, this movie really had a lot of that it just feels so real i don't know how, how to articulate why that is um yeah I, I, you know go, going back to that one scene where um he's with uh where gunther is the name of the monster i guess i, I don't know that they ever say that but so somehow i just know that um oh, sure <laughs> um so he's he's with madame xena and and he's still got that mask on and it's really kind of, it's, it's the range of emotions in that scene goes from just sort of, you have empathy, empathy for this. There's pity. You feel obvious, pity a little bit. Oh yeah. yeah. He gets caught a hundred bucks. Yeah. It's a lot. And, and he's just, you know, obviously sensitive about whatever's happening and just doesn't, and you know, he's wearing a Frankenstein mask for a reason because he, he, I'm sure he doesn't mean to kill her or, you know, just loses control of his emotions. And, and we like haven't seen his face yet at this point. Right. Right. And he no. just loses his temper and starts banging stuff. And um, yeah, it's, it's like Frankenstein throwing a little girl into the lake. You know, it's just, it's just this person that doesn't understand his emotions and, and loses it. Uh, so you feel similar to how you feel maybe about Leatherface once you kind of learn a little bit more about him and realize that he's kind of this traumatized person where there's a tinge of empathy for him until he starts slaughtering people, I guess. But um, <laughs> once that happens, it's kind of hard to, you know, empathize with him. But but uh, there is that tinge of, of empathy that you have, and then it just turns into this, again, abject scene where she's humiliating him and, and you know, then he starts murder. you know, it's it's Hooper's way of like turning seemingly innocuous things into just these really disturbing moments that unfold in unexpected ways is like, and, and we should be prepared for it. Cause like structurally the way this movie works is he's setting you up with like these, these fake scares. Um, you know, it opens with this amazing like slasher traditional slasher sequence. That's yeah, like basically half psycho. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Or in Halloween, like you see the mask being put on, just like the POV shot. I in thought exactly Halloween. Halloween. It's like the exa- with the sister yeah. and the little kid. I was like, oh shit, this is like yeah. just like Halloween. Yeah. And then yeah, and the shower scene from Psycho. It's just and that, but then it's the fake out. It's a big fake out. And same with like the, you know, the the most disturbing one of these little moments, Ben, that you were talking about with like the the bloodied guy and the bag lady, is actually when her little brother Joey. Uh, is walking to the carnival and this guy stops oh, yes. in a pickup yes. truck and he's like, Hey kid, what are you doing here? You want to lift? You want, you want to come for a ride? And he doesn't even like wait for Joey to answer. He just pulls out a shotgun and points yeah. it at the kid's face. And then Joey runs like hell. And the guy just laughs maniacally. Like, like what a disturbing thing to do. And I know I realize it's sort of like come up and it's like for, for Joey pulling a prank or whatever, but you know, Hooper is that is guy just like carny? Are we supposed to take that? He's a carny. I just, I didn't know if that was just some really disturbed local. I couldn't, I, I didn't know. I, yeah, I had trouble putting that yeah, in context. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't associate him with the carnival. I just thought it was this crazy moment that happened. And okay. this is such like a Toby Hooper thing where he just takes a simple moment and turns it into something terrifying. And then like also kind of funny. Um, and that's kind of what's happening. Like, like later you think, you think that Gunther and Xena is kind of this pathetic moment and you, you know, it's maybe, maybe a little bit funny in a way and, and very sad. And, 
and then it's it just kind of becomes pathetic very for disturbing. both of them. I, the whole time, I feel bad for both of them. Really, like she needs the money, obviously, and she's scamming him, and he doesn't yeah. know any better, and he's just desperate for some sort of connection that he can only get via pay. I mean, it's just uh, the whole thing is. I kept getting vibes that like sexual impulses lead to problems, basically. Not that this is necessarily pro virginity, but but sex is a problem for almost all the characters, including the guy that owns the carnival. I mean, he had at least two offspring that had this problem. The one that didn't survive and was put in the right you know, frame is like there's just something about sex and procreation that's that's problematic. Um, it gets all the characters in this movie in hot water. Really, it's this collision. Of, Not the main lady. She lives. She, right? she still gets in trouble. She's still traumatized yeah. and devastated, and gonna need a lot of therapy for the rest of her life. And probably will have a hard time uh, having normal relationships. But you know, sure, she lives. I mean, all the uh, the catcalling guys in the in the nudie tent are. Uh, I mean, they didn't receive any any kind of comeuppance for their. That's true. For their but they just looked. They didn't touch. Sure. Uh, yeah, you're right. Well, I assume. Who knows? I mean, apparently they were available for, you know, after hours fun, according to the guy, like 15 bucks. Or he's like, I could have got oh you God. one of them for 15 bucks. So we were talking earlier. Um, the, according to Wikipedia, the carnival is supposed to be in the state of Iowa. Um, and there are a few references. I just, Ben, you grew up in Iowa. Is this what carnivals are like in, in Iowa? Is that? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I ever went to a carnival. All I did was go to the Iowa state fair. And as you've already mentioned, as backwoods as you imagine, Iowa to be, um, you know, you two Minnesotans, uh, it, uh, the Iowa state fair is pretty much exactly the same as the Minnesota state fair. Nothing like this at all. You'd get a really big pig is probably the weirdest thing you can see animal wise at the state fair. Um, so I certainly didn't get to go to any of these if they were around, and I, I doubt by the early 90s that any of these were left. I think they were all just yeah. sussed out. I've talked to my parents about the potential of like a freak show at the Minnesota State Fair, and they they remember there being a a freak show. So at least oh, wow. in the last like 50 years, there's been a freak sure. show at this Minnesota State I remember Fair. in the midway there was like you could see the tiniest person and there, I th- God, I thought there what? was a woman with no legs that you could go in and look at at the state fair. Really? Maybe I'm imagining this, but I swear I remember like being kind of scared at like a couple booths in the midway at the state fair. Whoa! <laughs> Admittedly, that's another reason that I'm drawn to this movie is that, um, you know, there's I I have no logical way of explaining why i'm so drawn to this but like the movie freaks from 1932 is one of my favorite movies it's so strange and oh, if you guys that movie seen- really uh, no i've seen it. it that movie genuinely upset me even as bad as like the prosthetics looked at the very end um for the woman that's like the chicken lady yeah yeah it's like it just really upset uh, it was just really really upsetting um from the first time you hear that, you know, Google, yeah, one of us, one of, and then it gets recontextualized later. And it's like, oh gosh, really upsetting. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's Todd Browning. The same guy made another movie called the unholy three. It was a silent film um, that featured some of the same, same actors. And um, yeah, there was just an interest in like the, you know, abject bodies or grotesque bodies, um, the, you know, which is not, a politically correct way of describing these these people they're just human beings who you know were born with a with a physical dysfunction uh or physical syndrome and um 
and yet for whatever reason my again my lizard brain up to up to its old tricks i'm just really drawn and fascinated by it and just circuses in, in general like i mean last year's nightmare alley for instance was one of my favorite movies just because i i really love um just circuit scene that that features that also movies. like a deformed kid in a jar basically right if i remember correct it does yeah 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 it does um yeah, and I read that book, and I just, I love the book because again, it's just the circus, the circus. I don't know world, the milieu that that it interests me. So that, so this going into um, this movie is is just a fascinating aspect of it. Uh, just a brief aside, and this is really some hasty Google work done by me, and it you know I, I don't have a ton of time, but this is from NPR, you know Minnesota Public Radio, and they mentioned that as of 2006, there was one sideshow left at the Minnesota State Fair. So I think it's possible that there was a sideshow in the midway when you were going to the great Minnesota get together in the nineties for both of you, I guess, if you were going in the nineties, Brian. Um, So it seems possible. Um, That's all I'm just going to say. I, I think it's plausible again, quick Google Googling. I I'm no professional reporter, but. I spent most of my time in the art building at the Minnesota state fair and concerned with food. And I'm sure my parents, if there was a, sideshow i was not uh should sure. be taken there by them <laughs> got it so yeah i think eric though you might have some residual trauma uh, i, I remember specifically going in a few of those okay. you had to pay like to get each one you just like walk in and you're looking at these like weird things and there's something that's like fascinating but also like terrifying about it yeah that sure yeah, yeah I, 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 go ahead. I, I don't know i i would feel awful doing that in person i think maybe it's fine you know with years between me and a movie but going in it's like going i can't go to zoos either i just don't want to go to a zoo and watch like an animal in a cage and just in their little space that's sad and depressing and these are human beings and i wouldn't want (laughs) to support something that like is putting someone on display and yet i will watch freaks so that's just a little contradiction i guess Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, those people. No, no. Nobody made Freaks is still alive today, right? I assume nobody's still alive from 1932 or whenever that movie came out. But no, um, that that changes the calculus. But that makes it interesting. And I, do you think we're supposed to identify with the protagonists here? Because I just found myself not so much. I kind of viewed what they were doing with a little bit of disdain, a little bit of oh, you're you're gawking it. And it's not just the the freaks, quote unquote, but pretty much all the carnies get stared at the, the, the main lady, she's constantly just staring outside all the tents at the barkers and everything. I mean, it's like, can you guys just stop? Can you guys just stop for a minute and just relax and not just stare at everybody all the time and be obnoxious. I mean, I guess what were your thoughts on, I, I think she, we're supposed to. she was intrigued in the same way that we are, you know, I think she was just sort of like generally curious about it. And a little haunted. I think she's she's smart enough to realize that there's something strange and fascinating. And, you know, most like final girls are are the smartest person in the room, usually. And she's definitely at least out of their four. I think the smartest of them. And yeah, she's her, at least crummy. Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> so she she's sitting back and and um watching it and just taking everything in and you know she's the one who's kind of into the only one who really notices like that the three barkers are the same uh, or look the same and whether that's like a projection of her mind or are they actually brothers or i mean they're definitely the same actor 
Um, and she just gets pulled into their kind of like hypnotic way of barking. Um, and everyone else is oblivious to it, but she just kind of gets hooked into it. Like, and I think she just realizes that something strange is going on here. Like well, what he's saying is creepy as hell. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, yeah. nobody like, noticing what this you're not going to make it out alive. Yes. You're going to die in there. Like, Oh geez. And that's, and that's probably expected. Like, you know, who, yeah, yeah. Who will dare face the challenge of the funhouse? And then they just, they each have this like cantation, like, the one in front of the funhouse is terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. And the one, the British one in front of the, the, you know, the nudie tent is like girls, 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 they wiggle and they dance, they wiggle and they dance. And he's just like staring at her saying that. And then the animal one is like alive, alive, alive. And just like, it's so st- strange. And, that guy's voice is very is an amazing voice um but but again everybody behind her is just like you know this is normal (laughs) don't worry about it i was like Like, if i'm at a renaissance fair and i hear somebody saying like that like are you not listening to what this guy is saying it's it's crazy (laughs) right exactly and and i think she's the one who's kind of realizing that and kind of like unnerved by this and and everybody else is just fine with it well, and I just thought, how bored is that guy? I mean, how many times in his life has he uttered those phrases? I mean, if he's just reciting, barely even aware that he's doing it because it's just so rote. Um, I was just, I'm just sitting there like scoffing at all that. I mean, they, there seem to be a disdain for the locals. You know, they want to put the murder on the locals. They seem to not care about the locals. There's this undercurrent of tension there. I don't know. That I also really yeah, like I'll just blame the murder on the locals. We'll just bury them and blame it on like them. They're just a source of money, and then we're going to move on. We don't have to actually care about them. We just need some dollars from them, and then we'll move on. Um, but I'm and not that's really probably like feeding into like a stereotype about you know carnies, and that's definitely been portrayed in you know countless movies. But um, I, you know, so so Ben, you you don't I you don't identify much. You, you think that there's like a like a contemptuous attitude. Of, with with our heroes in in the car. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and it's not just our heroes, right? There's the magic show, which genuinely looked interesting. Of all the stuff that we see at the movie, the the like murderous magician or whatever who's openly and all the carnies are drinking really a lot. I mean, it's they're all hardcore <laughs> lushes. Um, probably another stereotype, but it's shocking how blatantly everybody drinks. But like the guy's doing his magic show, and you hear in the background like "Get a real job, boo, boring," like not even from our protagonists, just other people who presumably paid to come to the show. And I don't know what they expected, but that was more than I would have expected. Just that one trick we saw that looked fun and silly and campy. And listen, that's what I'd want from a, that kind of a magic show. But even like uh, the monologue that he gives is so cool about Dracula and Vlad the Impaler is like, I was like enthralled by this. It was a good speech. show. Was like, the locals shit, are just great. like, get a real job. And, and they're, they're like getting stoned and literally mocking this woman who's a psychic or whatever. Uh, and yeah, they want to, they want to react to, Oh my gosh, they are wiggling and jiggling in there. They cut the hole in the tent cause they don't want to pay because it's three bucks a person. It's too expensive. Um, and they're like, that's so gross. Ooh. And then there's the guy that was looking and they make him feel bad or who was allegedly pay. I don't know what he was doing. He's on the other side of the tent. I think he said he was peeing. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't want to know what that to, guy was doing. Well, sure. He could have been doing something else. It's fine. But yeah, and they, they literally are laughing the whole time at, uh, 
this you know you said gunther is the name of the yeah of the baddie they're, they're laughing at this whole exchange being very condescending the other guy steals money um which is i mean is that all the money for the carnival i mean they need that money presumably like they got a lot of expenses they've got payroll people are working um there's a lot yeah, of cash have, yeah, i mean, I mean that- the, the male protagonists especially i really just think are they're just kind of jerks and you know i was I, a teenager once but i feel like they're just kind of obnoxious teenagers just there to to make jokes and you know look at look at these awful well not awful but look at these pathetic people basically looks that their life is reduced to yeah i got i got that kind of vibe um so i certainly wasn't sad when they started to get off i mean i wasn't like oh this is horrible um but anyway yeah i mean that, that's my sort of read on it or how i felt about the protagonist uh, no i i agree with you ultimately i th- i think that elizabeth barrage is and maybe i just like her as an actress but um, yeah, she's good yeah uh, uh i think she's an empathetic character and i think she's just you know kind of innocent there's not much to her she's definitely you know one dimensional maybe two dimensional but but there's not much to her but i don't want her to die and i think that the other three i could <laughs> definitely care less if they died and uh and yeah you're right that that uh i i think the moment i kind of like don't care about them um aside from the main the main uh woman is when they're looking, when they're laughing at the scene with Gunther and and Madame Zena, that's a disgusting scene, and you kind of, and again, maybe it's Hooper's intent, but you kind of enjoy watching them die afterward. It's sort of fun, um, and they're in a fun house, and it's all, you know, crazy red and green gels and and kooky animatronics. Oh yeah, and, the setting is incredible for just the the slasher stuff that we get. It's, it's like, oh, this is this is a very fun place to have a bunch of murders happen, right? right. Just on a rudimentary level, like very fun. Um, no, I think I mean, and she she's the one with the conscience. She's the one that's like, maybe we should go to a movie instead. And she's just kind of responding to. Didn't want to lie to her dad, right? Um, yeah, and so. There's that, although she, I guess, gets punished for threatening, like, incidentally, her brother doesn't know that she's in there being murdered, but we get the, like, she gets angry at her brother, justifiably so, uh, because he, you know, walked in on her while she's in the shower and pretended to stab her with a fake knife, and uh, she's, what what does she say, like, I'm going to get you so bad sometime, you're not going to see it coming, and he has a chance to tell his parents, like, oh, she's in there, You, you better go, she's stuck in there, she's staying in there. And you get the little like ADR. She he remembers what she said, and he doesn't tell his parents. So I guess that's her one sort of sin is to threaten her brother. Um, but it's such a cool scene where she's yelling out through the fan. Oh yeah, and that she, her she parents can't are on the other it. side and they can't hear her. And she, you know, she yeah. looks looking back at this like creepy ass hallway with the you know lights coming down. It's that, that part of the movie I thought was done like incredibly well. Yeah, it made me think of Blowout, too. Just like, just you're so close, but you just can't quite communicate. You just can't quite get there because there's this big fan, you know, just sucking up the sound. It's like so close, but so far away. That sort of tension there. Um, and I think that lo- the, Joey's logic in not telling his parents is actually like kind of realistic. No, like, true. if you were ever, if you were ever guilty of something, as a, you, you would never admit to it. At least in the maybe kids today are more moral, but but at least when I was a kid, I and if I did something wrong, uh, 
I would never own up to it until it was like the last possible minute and in my face. Like I would deny it and lie about it until <laughs> to, just to get out of being, you know, grounded for an afternoon. I would, I would create elaborate lies to get out of, out of getting in trouble. Um, I think that's just what, what little kids do. Oh yeah. yeah no, but he not. didn't, he, and he didn't know exactly what was happening in there. No, he didn't yeah. know they were getting killed in there. Yeah. He just, he just knew they, they were in there. Uh, yeah. Although he kind of knew something, I guess. Didn't he get grabbed? No. Well, yeah, he got grabbed by somebody. Um, God, even like that scene where the c- carnival person. I, what's is there a better word than carny to barker. use? I, B- carnival uh, barker. Well, I think that's. Well, they're not all barkers, right? Uh, carnival employee. Carnival employee. Well, yeah, barker's the person tries to get you to come into the tent. I assume that there's other responsibilities that aren't barking. Um, but uh, you know, they they get the boy, and he he's like in a shock or whatever. And he's like wiping him down and giving this just really unsettling look at the boy. And it's like, I cleaned him up real good. Well, I, I was thinking like, what the hell are their parents just standing there letting this guy rub yeah, their kid's really face? Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. Like, 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 it's like, he's right there. Why? Yeah. Why is you letting him rub your kid? It's just was awkward and weird. I mean, probably deliberately so, but it's just like, oh, this is really unsettling the way that that employee well, was looking at that guy to be fair that mom was she was getting after it like she they showed what they were watching bride of frankenstein which was a cool like you know foreshadowing but she had a heck of a whiskey that she was drinking you know so she must not have known that her son was gone I don't, and then she drove yeah, home she, and, she's she's tuned up she has no <laughs> idea what's going on yeah, yeah. she's <laughs> she's oblivious to her kid getting touched by the carny yeah carnival employee excuse me yeah, um, so it's like yeah just like there's got to be a better term but i just carney's the easiest thing to say of like you know they're people um carney's probably derogatory carnival yeah. people but okay. i thought like like you know texas chainsaw i, I mean the the main the characters that you're following through the point of view characters they aren't especially sympathetic you know, I mean, you don't really oh, know a whole lot about what they're doing. Franklin, um, the, the guy in the wheelchair in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is one of the worst characters, like, just in terms of annoyance level. Uh, and you just, and <laughs> you feel empathy for him because he's left behind and they make fun of him a little bit. And But at the same time, he is just so grating and annoying. And I think that, you know, aside from Poltergeist... Hooper's movies tend to be um, kind of grating. Like they're, they really just, they sort of fray your nerves a little bit. And that goes down to the characterizations too. I think that, you know, maybe Poltergeist and, Sa- and uh, uh, Salem's Lot are the exceptions where I can't think of too many others where it's not like, oh God, I don't know what, what's happening like everybody is so awful and everything that's happening is so awful and i think that this movie kind of builds up and you know to your point ben yeah the teens aren't aren't the greatest but i think we can at least as a viewer i can relate to going to if i haven't been to a carnival exactly like that i've gone to you know a concert or a you know again the the state fair and just people watched and sure you know it's it's not the nicest thing i've ever done but um you know you stand back and you laugh at people because people are weird and people do weird things and and carnivals are like I, i can't imagine going to a carnival like this and not behaving like that and maybe that's my privilege speaking i guess um 
but yeah, if it was 1981 and I'm at a carnival like that, do you, are you, I, if are I was you, a teenager, I might've done the exact same thing. If you're saying, well, sure. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm yeah. 38 now. I, you know, I've matured a bit <laughs> in the 20 years since I've been a teenager, but yeah, if I were 17 trying to impress some girls and just trying to be smarmy, I'm sure I would have been very similar. I mean, it's, it's still obnoxious. Teenagers can be obnoxious categorically and, and I, I was once one of them, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't identify with her plight maybe as much as I might have otherwise, just because it's like, okay, you, you didn't, didn't need to get stoned. I, I wasn't getting stoned in high school, that's for sure, but you don't need to get stoned and then just snicker at this woman who's trying to eke out a living as a fortune teller. Like, I don't know, seemed kind of yeah. obnoxious to me, but I, it's a fair point. I shouldn't be too judgy. I, I was like that once. Let's just say, like, it kicks off with the guy's super rapey, the the date that he's on, like, that she's on with him. Like, I don't think you're supposed to like any of these people, really, except for the the main woman. Because you're agree. just, yeah, you're going to watch him die. You know you're going to watch him die. That's, that's you're signing up for that. And they act, that. yeah, like how most teenagers do in slasher movies, right? I mean, it's not like they act great in Friday the 13th movies or whatever else anyway. Um, it just kind of comes with the territory. Which is fair enough, and it really isn't a criticism. I don't mean mean it as such. I was just thinking about it as like, am I supposed to like them? Because I don't. I mean, I'm not. It made it less scary, I suppose. The last act when they're getting offed, I'm not like, oh, that could be me in that in that fun house. I could be getting pursued. Um, I was like, oh no, this is happening to those people, and you know, maybe they have it coming. Is the only difference. no. I think this. I think this is an interesting point because one one kind of. Th- uh, thread of horror movies that I really don't like is like early 2000s horror movies where like I would say hostile or, or you know torture porn stuff or sure. even just like the the remakes of Friday the 13th and, and Nightmare on Elm Street where you can't really relate to anyone and they're very they're just mean spirited horror movies like you're supposed to delight in watching these people die and you're that's kind of what you're supposed to do i think with this movie like you're you're supposed to be having fun i think that's what hooper wants you to do and yet i don't feel like it's mean spirit like it's a mean-spirited movie um even though what's happening is you feeling kind of grossed out by just the setting and the people the teens are really to your point ben they're really kind of kind of mean and uh you know they're making bad jokes and they're just behaving like little shits um sure (laughs) uh, you know and yet i like i don't hate these people for whatever reason i don't know why um but all your points are valid and i actually you know you're kind of making me realize how, how much i don't like these these kids um and yet i don't I don't have that sense that this is like a mean spirited movie uh, like these kind of early two thousands horror movies uh, that, that I typically don't like. Um, so I, I guess my only point is I'm, I'm surprised by my own reaction uh, to this movie um, with that in mind. No, it's fine. I really don't mean it as a judgment. Really. It's, it's totally, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen, I've, I've not seen every Friday. Thing. I've seen most of them and you get used to the tropes. And then it's part of the fun as you're watching them get off in really comical ways. I always think of the things Friday 13 part two, where there's a kid in a wheelchair who gets hit in the face and the wheelchair comes careening sure. down like a stairs and it's silly and absurd, but I don't take it seriously. I don't like take it as a serious moral play. And this one teeters that way a little bit because it's fairly serious before we kind of get to the last bit of we're going to just kind of 
off some people in a fun house. But um, I just so, meant I mean, if that was where the tension was supposed to come in, that that tension didn't work for me. But it worked for me as a, all right, we're just going to have some fun now. Now it's time to get to the murders, you know. Let's get to that part. Your Friday the 13th example makes me think of, so like in the early 80s when these movies started to come out, the Friday the 13th movies, um, Siskel and Ebert, like who I'm a huge, you know, I grew up sure. watching the show and reading the reviews, um, had like a huge kind of moralistic campaign against those movies. They thought they were like the, the, the worst you know, moral thing that could be out there. And, and if you're watching them, you're supporting like, you know, just enjoying death and, and there's no, you know, moral justification to these movies existing. And yet uh, Gene Siskel loved the Funhouse. Uh, he, he called it a guilty pleasure and he enjoyed watching it. Um, I guess I haven't looked up Roger Ebert's review. I should maybe do that, but um it's just interesting to note that they had such a problem with with Friday the 13th and and yet kind of like the funhouse even though i would argue that the same thing is happening that it's kind of a means the movie's not mean spirited but the same basic thing is happening where you're watching kind of thankless characters get murdered and it's supposed to be fun and there's not really a moral lesson in the end um so what's the difference is it is it acknowledging that horror movies are like a funhouse ride where you're supposed to be scared and laughing and um you know there are thrills and chills and then you come out safe uh i don't know well that that's interesting i mean that yeah it certainly wasn't where i was going with it or anything but uh you could certainly make that case um yeah i don't know i mean i don't know i guess i i don't ever t- there's always a certain bit of distance because it is silly and artificial when it's like jason or somebody like this guy that can't be killed it's a little different this is even though it's shaped as a monster right your brain looks at this i don't know what kind of mask it is and it looks like a monster it's actually a human so there is a human underneath it and it's a real person who presumably can be killed i mean we didn't get a fun house too where this is he's now forever haunting this ride and waiting to seek revenge on the next set of teenagers that try to stay the night in the fun house um i mean it's just we, we see six, seven people die uh, or no six, six is right. I think. Um, and they die because of this really collision of these two forces. Uh, I don't know. And, and it's kind of sad, but I, I, again, I, I know I had trouble identifying. I mean, just everybody is morally culpable, I guess, because you also can't really have sympathy for the dad who's trying to cover up the murder for a son, even though you understand why a dad might want to do that. That's still morally reprehensible. And then, you know, the, the son who just doesn't seem to have any agency or control anyway. He, I, I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but he's cognitively not developed however old he is. Um, so it's almost like tragic. You could look at it as tragic, but it gets it's silly. There's the silly, it because, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, Brian. So there's this thing where it's kind of serious and a tragedy, but then it, we end up just having fun at the end. And that's where there's this tension, but it worked for me, I think. But um, yeah, maybe that's, I don't know. That's an unfinished yeah, I, thought. I, I mean, just as I was talking about, you know, it being like a funhouse ride, the movie just sort of clicked. It's like, oh, yeah, this is so obvious. Like, why did I never think about this before? Um, that's exactly what's happening. Um, so uh, I don't know. I don't know. I always worry. Like, I, I don't I have a hard time with the moral or applying moral arguments to movies. Well, sure. That's uh, a fair point. Uh, um, and. and I'm curious if if you do that often. I I I avoid that, and I 
I don't really have a firm philosophy as to why I avoid that. But like one of the th- things that I didn't like about Roger Ebert is that he would often apply or not like a movie on moral grounds uh, or what it has to say morally. Um, I can I, get mad. I mean, yeah, I, don't know. I think his whole thing is like, is this art? You know what I mean? Is this art? Because like the vid- he made a he had a big thing about video games not being art too. He I think famously mm. kind of wrote about it that. It bothered and, nerds because he didn't think video games were art. Yeah. But, well, so here's an example. So Eric, Eric and I watched Dragged Across Concrete. Have you ever seen Dragged Across Across Concrete? Ryan's got an incredible review on that. I. Okay, so. I can get frustrated with like, so when we meet the character, the woman about two thirds of the way through or whatever, we see her having trouble leaving her baby and we eventually see her get brutally murdered. That was horribly mean spirited and obnoxious and just such a, a over the top jerk move. I didn't get that from the funhouse. I mean, that's not at all a funhouse, but I can get frustrated or with the film's lack of moral convictions, which is what I felt about dragged across concrete is it didn't have, the courage of its convictions to go one way or the other. And it's just kind of, and it's a big nihilistic malaise, which is fine, but it wasn't fun. Um, certainly fun house is fun. But I, I think, a, I think like this movie is, is just sort of the same idea as, as these carnivals, these things you're, you're seeing things you're not supposed to see. And it, it's intriguing. It's scary, but it, you know, it's exciting in a certain way. And I think that that's just, I, I would assume that's all this movie is intended to do is like put you in a world that you're not supposed to see. You're not supposed to be in that tent looking at those things. And, and they weren't know. supposed to be in the fun house looking right. at yeah. the, that whole exchange. That's true. That was something they weren't literally weren't supposed to see. That was the guy's private room or whatever. I mean, that's where he sleeps. That's where he lives. Um, ride was closed. Yeah, and I think they're they're kind of violating the unspoken rule of of the carnival. They you go and you see the show that they want you to see, but if you break those rules, if you cut a hole in the tent, or if you go, you know, you step off the ride, then look what happens to you. That's um, that's true. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go, going back to drag to co- cross concrete. Um, as much as I don't like that movie and I'm very conflicted about my reasons for not liking that movie, because I think it's a very well-made movie um, that I just hate everybody involved, at least <laughs> on a character, on a character level. Oh not, yeah. They're not, awful. Not, they're not, all not, unpleasant not, to spend time with. They're not fun to spend time yeah, with. At Mel all. Gibson, not the most sympathetic person in the history. Of- well, his character. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He, he neither character or as a human being, obviously, but um yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't want to get into Mel Gibson. Uh, my point, sure. my my sure. my point in going back to this was at least that scene with is it Jennifer Carpenter? I think so. Uh, if I'm she's from Dexter. I can't think of the actor. I can't think up. of her name. Yeah, I, yeah, that's her. Um, so I think what's saying about it, that I I always think about this like people who and there's a scene actually in like austin powers i think where where some thug dies and they cut away to like the wife learning the news or something i think sure i think if if i'm remembering this and it's like there are always these moments like where you never learn anything about the collateral damage in these action sure. movies and i think this is like a movie or that is a is a movie where it's novelistic in a way where um it's giving you the backstory to somebody who would otherwise be collateral damage um, which I think is interesting, and it's treating her at least as a human being. I I, I have no other. <laughs> but what does uh, it do with that? Thoughts. We see her as like, what, but what do we do with that? What do we go with that? I it, but I think your broader point stands. So a, a movie like Dirty Harry, 
has some thoughts about the criminal justice system that I frankly disagree with emphatically. Yeah. I don't agree with its politics, but I really enjoy Dirty Harry. It's a fun movie. I can have yeah, a yeah. good time and watch that. But it's well made. You know, something like Birth of a Nation, it's, I guess, well made, but you can't escape the miserable politics and goals behind it and the racism that's so blatant and so cavalier. So sometimes it can be a problem. It isn't usually, and I'm never going to talk about a movie being so disgusting or awful or this this is too horrible nobody should like that that's never going to be my approach but the politics or the moral leanings of a movie can matter it's rare that do. it does for me it, it, but I, I i would say like but i i wouldn't be like we should ban this my response would be this this movie's politics are dumb and annoying and they get in the way or it works in spite of this or whatever you know it, it's not gonna be censorship this is horrible i can't believe this would happen yeah no i agree and i you know, I realize we're off on a crazy tangent when well, we're talking though. about this is a good time. when we're talking about the fun house. But, but um, uh, another example is that movie Bombshell about like the Roger Ailes scandal at Fox News. Like, it's a fine movie, but I just don't want to care about any of these people, and therefore it's not going to work on me. Like, yeah, it's sure. terrible what happened, but all these people are awful. I think, and and I, I just don't want to watch a movie about this. Uh, and I couldn't, I really struggled to like write that review because yeah, it's a fine movie, but I don't know. I just, I didn't connect because of the whole time I'm sitting back and judging them, which is not a great place to be. But I think it's just the reality of like, you cannot remove subjectivity from film criticism. No, at all. I, you shouldn't. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's impossible. You can pretend, but it's, it, you're human. Yeah, I think yeah. like with this movie, um, the overall intent is to scare you, right? Like that's the whole idea yeah. is a horror movie. You know I mean? That's, that's why he made it. He's trying to scare people. And you know, I don't, I don't think there's, it's, if you were looking at moralistically, I don't think he's like glamorizing violence in a way that like, that's why you want to watch it is like, Ooh, I want to get kicks off of watching people die. That's not, I don't think that's what it is. I think there's a little bit of that by the last act. And I probably like slashers the least of anybody you know, on this podcast. I mean, the guy, they drop a, a noose on the guy from afar. And what a shot with they, that noose, though, too. I mean, this, it looks cool. I mean, it's no, no, I'm, I'm saying that he was able to string oh. that thing down and then yank it. I mean, that one shot, too. He had one shot at that. Um, I mean, we see people. They've clearly hailed. done this before. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, that's true. I mean, they, they, oh, they had that problem a couple of years ago, apparently, in Fairfield, the different spot in Iowa. Uh, <laughs> he had the same problem. But, but it, it kind of gets that way. Um, the woman fall. I mean, he, he, very elaborate game plan to get the woman down the trap door by the fan and like the guys waiting by the exit. He at least kind of has a plan before he gets impaled. That, the, really, the woman by the, it was so creepy how it like slowly panned in. She was just sitting there, not, not moving for, I don't know, it was like a two minute pan in scene. And then she starts to get up and then you turn back and you see the shadow of the guy coming. I thought that was, well, that was really well done. It is. No, it is. Um, it reminded me of alien actually. Yeah, the, for sure. Like the fan. Oh, the corridors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I didn't think about that, but that makes total sense. Um, no, I mean, it's really good. But then, then he's getting impaled through the gears and we get the ridiculous slasher. She's standing way too close to him. She just said he's slowly yeah. moving there. And I was like, come on, step back three feet. Just take two steps back. Stop standing there. He's slowly moving towards you. It made me, you mentioned Austin Powers. It made me think of the guy in front of the steamroller yeah. or whatever. And he's going, <laughs> yeah. ah, and he's 
plenty of time to move out of the way and just doesn't. It's like, come on. Okay, that was silly. Like, that's silly. And he's got to know it's deliberately silly. Um, I, again, just going, back, back. going back to this this uh, roller coaster, you know, metaphor, ride metaphor, though, you see the you see the thing coming, you know that or you know that something is going to jump out at you or you know that, you know, you're ratcheting up to, for a fall and you can't help but just feel scared even though you know what's coming and it's ridiculous and stupid but it works kind of like you're still scared when it happens and yeah she's stupid for standing there but uh it's scary when when, when i the, guess when i was mad occur. i was too annoyed with her to be scared it's like come on step just step back sure. I was, but that's that's what i'm bringing to it is a snooty awareness of tropes and like last scares and all that stuff but um I, don't know. I mean, I guess I view the last act as a little more silly maybe than you do, Eric and Brian, because I just, I mean, it's fun. It's well shot, but at that point, it, it feels a bit like we're watching the quote-unquote monster, you know, murder the teenagers, which wasn't probably that worn out in 1981, really. Um, there have been a bazillion of those movies since, but I mean, what, Halloween was three years before this? We're talking like 78 when we really get the yeah. influx yeah. of the slasher. Um so this is still pretty pretty fresh, relatively speaking. Um, but I bring all this horror trope knowledge from the future back to this movie. So it made me just kind of a little bit more like, oh, let's let's have some fun. Let's show me the gore, baby. You know, which is I wasn't disappointed. You know, it's great. I think one of the things that really stuck out to me um, as I was like preparing for this podcast was uh, I learned that the mask for Gunther did not have. Anima, any animatronic elements it was just like a stationary mask and just due to like lighting and the way that the actor um wayne doba i think is how it's pronounced uh is he's like a he's a trained dancer so he's just like moving his head in varied light and it just creates that and like the goop that's all over his face oh, the goop was that was that was a good effect yeah that was nasty um yeah, it just made it seem like he's doing more than a stationary mask, and uh, it's a pretty effective trick. Uh, I was surprised. Well, I and thought it's it, odd, and it's sloth it's from, odd that he's wearing a mask on top of, of a mask. Yeah. Actually, sloth yeah. from Goonies. There was animatronics in his like ear and stuff, right? In his yeah, eye, there was right? some articulations okay. of right. some of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that was like the whole lower part of his mouth was. I guess that's true of Gunther too, is that he, you know, his mouth is moving a bit, but uh, and you can see his tongue and whatnot. But I felt like Sloth just had a thing over his eye and a cap on, maybe. Yeah, anyway. in another world is, is it, Gunther Sloth. Does Gunther help the Goonie kids? I, I did have a Sloth. I did have Sloth vibes oh, occasionally. It's like, hey, you guys. I I did have that in my head. I that happened once. Um, I think there needs to be a, like uh, a crossover between Goonies and the Funhouse. Like Goonies go to the Funhouse and they meet a new. <laughs> meet a who new wins friend. in a fight, Gunther or Sloth? I, I, my money's on Sloth, but Gunther was. Well, is, oh, there, absolutely. is the fight at the Funhouse? Then you'd give sure. Winfield advantage to. Like, he knows Sloth could be swinging around on the you know the ropes and stuff yeah i feel like sloth would just like punch through a wall and they'd be out of there in five minutes oh that's true i did think that the the beefy boyfriend guy should have been able to take out one of those doors i that that seemed a little off to me but you know yeah he was he was getting 
prizes out there for yeah. swinging a hammer. He should be able to. He should be able to bang out the doors. Well, he doesn't have that genetically superior strength. Strength that Gunther had apparently. You know, he loses the the fight to Gunther. I don't know. He takes he takes care of Gunther's dad, but he couldn't take care of Gunther. Um, and was there? This is not a, a really serious problem, but it, it clicked afterwards. So the older sister, she's her younger brother knows she's going to the carnival and isn't really going to the movie. And she says, if you tell mom and dad, I won't take you to the carnival on like Saturday or just something like that. But also that was the last night of the yeah. carnival. It's like, Oh, oh you found a, found a plot hole. It's like, did, well, maybe she just got it wrong. I don't know. Maybe she lied to her brother and wasn't going to take him. It's like, oh, psych. I said I was going to take you, but the carnival already left. I don't know. Mm, I did. I did think of that. Um, but, it's not again. This I, is not serious. But my no, I, I that, that's a good point. I didn't even realize that. Uh, I would say maybe that she's a little being a jerky older sister, and I don't feel like those two really bond. Although no, I think their relationship, I think their relationship is weird. Like <laughs> from the first, like who does who would do that to their si- oh that's that's an insane thing to do to open he he holds that he holds that shower curtain open and is just looking at his nude sister for what feels like forever um and i think you know maybe you guys felt differently about it because this was your first time watching it me knowing what was going to happen this time it was just it's an eternity of a of a brother (laughs) of a brother looking at his soapy sister in this shower it and was, her not like adequately covering herself. Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. love that. I was like, I don't know how old the actress is, but I was like, please don't show her topless. Please don't oh, show her. So oh, I watched topless. this with my wife, and that was the first oh. thing she jumped out. Well, her first thing was like, is there going to be clowns in this movie? And I was like, I honestly don't know. There may be a lot of clowns. I have no idea. And <laughs> the then the, stuff the boobs like a lot right of away. She was like, why Why show your boobs right away? What's going on here? And she's supposed to be a teenager, so it's like, oh, come and on. And she looks really young, yeah. too. At she first, does. I was like, don't do it, man. Don't do it, man. She, uh, she I it. mean, to be fair, she wasn't under. Sure. No, it's, I'm sure it would well, be very illegal, but it was still. And and she's a, um, you know, she was like a method actress, I guess. She was at the at the time she was like the youngest person to to get through the actor's studio, um, which is oh. interesting. Um, so she's like a. This is I think this was maybe one of her first movie roles and. Um, which is you know interesting. You go to the actor studio and you end up in the funhouse. But um, and then like the next movie she does is Amadeus, which is insane. She goes from funhouse to Amadeus. She's good um, in this movie. I I think she's all she, the for how little good. she has to work with. The, the, the sure. Carnival Barker dad. Like I keep talking about that scene because it was my favorite scene in the movie where where he comes in and sees the dead body. But like he is like going for it in that scene. You know, and he like again he has like a five minute monologue about planning what they're going to do, how they're going to rid of the body. I, I, just, I yeah. think the acting is really good in this movie. So do I. Um, uh, going back to that shower scene, uh, I, I read that uh, apparently the studio execs watched an early cut that didn't have that in there. Uh, and they wanted, so it just kind of started with like her going to the carnival or them going to the carnival. Um, so they shot, all the stuff with the kid and, you know, the psycho and Halloween homage and the shower scene to add on like an element of terror. Um, and probably, you know, the nudity because most horror movies, there was like, I think it was Roger Corman who talked about a formula where, you know, you need oh, nudity sure. in the, 
in the first five minutes. You need, you know, needed it 30 minutes and then you need it like two more times in the movie. And, um, and this is just how producers thought back then. And I'm sure some probably think that way today too. Um, so they, you know, they engineered this scene one for a, for a scare and two for, for nudity to get the audience hooked. And, um, works i think unfortunately um like why i i think if it if, if the movie didn't have that scene it would be kind of a slow movie it uh, takes a while to get kind to of, the carnival yeah for sure yeah yeah um but with that you're kind of like you've had your buzz and okay you're now you're ready to wait for the next one um it's weird how that works and i realize what it's doing uh and i'm kind of grossed out by it by how i react by it i can't I can't deny that it works, um, which is uh, it's always interesting when when you know your your intellectual side and your emotional side uh, kind of conflict like that. And I think there's a lot of that happening um, in all in a lot of Toby Hooper movies. Like he, he creates a lot of conflict. Well, you also see like the kid's room too, which it was just such a. He's got like handcuffs hanging out, and he's got like a little clown face. That like what a weird set. Who let this kid? design his room that way is just his, his, yeah, his parents. parents bought him all that stuff i think I his mean, parents he, are to fall are, are at fault for the whole thing i mean him running out at night to go to a carnival they're drunk most of the time anyway i wouldn't worry about it yeah um <laughs> yeah they're, they're not paying attention yeah you want a frankenstein poster that's fine you need handcuffs okay um that's actually like a, a little trope of of horror movies in the 80s there was always um there's always the weird kid who's got the horror movie stuff in his, in his room. And it's usually a boy. Um, but uh, Salem's lot, there's that kid who did make paints, like um, paints Dracula models and Frankenstein models, I think. Uh, and then the kid from uh, Corey Feldman in one of the Friday, the 13th. Movies. I think the fourth I think one. The, yeah, absolutely. The, yep. He had, a, you know, was obsessed with horror movies, and I think this is because most of these guys, like Joe Dante and Toby Hooper and and um, you know John Carpenter, are guys who grew up like doing this kind of stuff. They made those models and they they had those posters and they were obsessed with horror magazines and stuff like that. And so, yeah, they're projecting it on 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 these kids. And um, another one is uh, uh, Charlie Brewster from uh, Fright Night. Um, Sorry, all, all of these are just flooding into my head now. Um, but sure. yeah, the, the, these are filmmakers who are just, you know, portraying themselves, and and usually they're kind, they're either one of the smartest people in the movie or they're little shits. And I I think that's both assessments are fair. No, I, yeah, it's well, I brought back a memory. I mean, I it was not the shower, uh, but my older sister was coming back from work. I knew she was coming back from work, and there's a spot. You know, we had a, a light in the driveway. She had a car, and I knew where the light line ended, you know, so I took a bat, and I took a hammer, and I waited in the dark side of the light line, waited for her to get out of her car, and ran at her. Just screamed, and it was one of the funniest so things to you me. You were the, the shitty little brother. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I had an older sister that I tried to mess with, for sure. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a real experience, I think, for some people. I, my room did not look like that. Uh, I didn't have masks like that, but it, it brought that memory came flooding back, like, oh, wow. Yeah, I scared the shit out of my teeth. Okay. I did. I did. I had um, alien statues 
Um, I used to collect uh, movie. Ma- I don't know if you remember this from the '90s, but movie maniacs. They were. It was like this Todd McFarlane, um, McFarlane toys line where they did like you know Leatherface and the Thing and Snake Plissken and stuff. I had all kinds of movie figurines, and I still have them all. You know, they're all boxed up, but I definitely had that room. I did not um, chase people or play horrible pranks murderous pranks on people but uh did you have an older sibling i had an older brother but i probably would have got beat up if i um did that kind of stuff so i i avoided that um sure there's a price to pay if you scare your older brother i get it (laughs) not worth it okay fair enough um yeah i mean any other thoughts about the fun house we got anything else we want to i mean i boy i had a lot of notes and i think we kind of covered them all um Why don't, yeah, why don't you then, um, since Eric is indisposed, why don't you lead off with your, your five degrees of separation from Field of Dreams, getting from the funhouse to Field of Dreams. Do you remember the way this, our bizarre w- way of doing this works? Yeah, so I've got, it, does it have to be five? Five exactly or, is how we do it. Yep, so you go, you, you have three movies in between to connect. Okay. No more, no um, less. Oh boy, three. Well, so last uh, time you were okay. very impressive, you like had the super efficient, we can get right to it, and then you were able to think, oh, I just need to go three movies, to be able to get yeah, there. Yeah, I, I didn't want to, pre- I didn't want to prepare overly prepare this time. Um, so let me see here. Uh, Elizabeth Barrage to, um, Jeffrey Jones in Amadeus. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey Jones to, Jeremy Davies in Ravenous. Okay. I think th- I think this is gonna be more than three. Um, Viola Davis. Uh, shoot. Um. Here, I, I can give you some time. I will. Here, I can do mine. Um, okay. So, it, it, doing three exactly, it, it's a more tricky. It's a lot more tricky than either, you know, taking your time or like getting there as efficiently as possible. So, I went the the Miles Chapin plays. Um, I believe the the nerdy guy. Uh, not ner- I mean the guy with glasses. Um, the boyfriend with glasses in this one, uh, Funhouse, and he's in The People versus Larry Flint, which. I've not seen in a long time. I don't even remember his role, but he's got a role in it. Um, obviously, Woody Harrelson's in that movie. Woody Harrelson is in A Prairie Home Companion, um, Minnesota's own. Um, and then Tommy Lee Jones is in that. Tommy Lee Jones is in The Volcano with, and I totally lost her name. She's the little gal in Field of Dreams. Um, and I'm going to have to Google what uh, her name is. But she's, yeah, in, she's in Volcano, and uh, she's also in Field of Dreams. She's the girl that chokes on the hot dog requiring oh, yeah. Moonlight Graham to give up being a baseball playing ghost she, she, or whatever. She was in uh, Come On, Come On recently. Uh, Gabby Hoffman. Gabby there Hoffman. we go. Yep. So she's Gabby yeah. Hoffman's in Volcano and that that's our the, the three movie path. I tried I tried to work through Power of the Duck and Back to the Future and I, I got stuck. I was trying to look for that third movie but I couldn't do it. Boy, I only did it in three last time, huh? Um, it was amazing. So you, you did it in like one move or two. You did it like in one move and like, oh, sorry, we 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 do ours a weird way. And then off the top of your head, you were able to come up with three. It was very impressive. Um, uh, let me let me see if I can do this. Um, okay, so Kevin Conway, who's the Barker, uh, right, okay. was in The Elephant Man with John Hurt. John Hurt was in The Proposition with Ray Winstone. 
Ray Winstone was in The Departed with Matt Damon. That's three. Shoot. And then Matt Damon was in No Sudden Move with three Leona. That's that's four, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 I did a lot of the similar ones. So I had Kevin Conway. He's in Gettysburg with Martin Sheen. Martin mm-hmm. Sheen's in The Departed with Alec Baldwin. And Alec Baldwin is in a movie called The Last Shot with Ray Liotta. I've never seen that mm-hmm. movie, but that's why I did it. Apparently I'm not I'm not as on, on the ball today. Let me let me Elizabeth Barrett to Jeffrey Jones is what I said before to Amadeus. To Jeremy yeah, to, to Jeremy Davies and Ravenous to yeah, this is gonna be too long. I can see it in my head. I'll just do it. Uh, Jeremy Davies to Ravenous to Viola Davis and Solaris to Octavia Spencer and the help to Kevin Costner and Hidden Figures. Okay. That's that's too many. <laughs> do I need to do better? No, it's fine. I, I, it makes no. I'm not. I'm laughing because I've been in. I've not been on the feel, spot, but I've been in that same position where it's like oh, it's got to be exactly three. I get to four, I'm like, oh shoot, I can't do this path. Or I get there a little too quickly, I'm like, oh, I, I can't. That won't work either. It's got to be three exactly. I can do uh, previewing our next part of spooky season um, and give you some time to to think, take the heat off. And if you don't do it, it's okay. Nobody will be mad at people. I don't think people are anxiously awaiting our five degrees at the end of every episode. Um, so here, Eric, you ready to guess the movie? Yeah, yeah. Brian, feel free to jump in too. I'm sure you're gonna get it before me. So every, I mean, this is, we're gonna it's going into part three with spooky season. We're doing four horror movies. We just did two. Uh, the Funhouse was number two. So it's gonna be a horror movie. Eric has that bit of knowledge coming into it. Uh, start with the year. I'm lazy. I always start with the year. The year is 1982. Eric. 82. See, like that's. That's like slasher movie territory, right? That's the height of the post-Halloween slash. It's not the thing. Not the thing. Um, I do love the thing, but it is not the thing. So, um, well, so interesting. So, Carpenter, Toby Hooper, they're on the like Mount Rushmore of horror filmmakers, right? It's got to be the two of them. Well, so I'll get West Craven. Maybe you put West Craven as one of the other four. Mm, I think Nightmare on Elm Street was eighty-four. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it, so uh, I'll give you clue number two. It was produced, <laughs> produced by John Carpenter. There's a nice little segue. So it's produced by John Carpenter. Number two, clue number two. Was it just Halloween two? Not Halloween two. Nope. Was it Halloween three? It is Halloween three. I was like, you're is it? Keep it? yes. Uh, is that season guys. of the witch? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was. It. Yep. Season. I've never seen it. I, I know it is very weird. The only one without Michael Myers. Uh, it might be terrible, but I was so curious to watch it. Um, and it won out over Videodrome, which is my my favorite uh, Cronenberg movie. I haven't seen mm-hmm. Videodrome in quite a while, and so those were just like neck and neck. And Eric, I saved you from Onibaba. I wanted to do Onibaba, but I figured you'd find it boring. Don't uh, know what that black is. And white. It's a black and white Japanese movie from the mid '60s. I didn't think you'd enjoy it, but that's on my. It's outstanding. Okay, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll probably watch it on my own because I, I don't know how much uh, I, I don't know a ton about it, but it's supposed to be really scary and really really good. But I'm gonna watch it. But said we're gonna do Halloween three because the, the it'll come out right around Halloween weekend, and I think it'll be fun to talk about. We'll do Videodrome some other time. Um, Awesome. Yeah, so Halloween three season. Have you seen it before, Eric? Uh, I don't think so. I I think I've seen Halloween two. I 
think maybe I saw watched a little bit of it and was like, wait, Michael Myers isn't in this, and then maybe I turned it off. You're just like, I'm out. Yeah. No Michael Myers. Bye bye. Um, yeah. Right. I th- if you think of it not as a Halloween movie and just you know, uh, don't don't think <laughs> don't put it in the context of a Halloween movie and just watch it as a as a good horror movie. It's pretty darn entertaining. Uh, I I really enjoy it. Okay. Good to know. That's a it's a good lead in. I said I I know it's it's a very weird plot from what I, I from what little I know. So I'm looking forward to something that's different and wacky. And because the new Halloween just came out, um, and I have no interest in these Halloween remakes. I'm just I wish that, I hope this is the last one. I don't know if you liked Halloween ends, Brian, but just like uh, I did not. Uh, I kind of admire how weird it is. And there's a there's a uh, it's very closely related to season of the witch. There's a lot of callbacks to that particular movie. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I mean like the, from the title sequence to, um, at least the title font, I should say, or color, um, to just the fact that the third one is deviating from the norm. Um, have you guys both seen Halloween ends? I don't, I don't want to I, no. I just watched Halloween kills like Friday night. So, okay. uh, Peacock, which is where we, where I watched, um, the fun house is on Peacock and that's where sure. Halloween kills or Halloween ends is on there. So I am planning on watching it. No, I saw the first remake one with Jamie Lee Curtis and I liked it. And like, I, I don't need any more. I, 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 it's fine. This is, this narrative is self-contained to me. I don't care. I'm, I'm done. And then they kept making them and I'm like, uh, I don't have time for this stuff, but I haven't seen yeah. most of the Halloween movies. I may have seen the very original, that remake one of the rob zombie ones and i think that's it you know i don't love michael myers as much as everybody else in reality seems to um yeah i mean the i'm not a fan of of the series in general like they've made however many 10 movies or 12 movies at this point and i really only like the first one and and part three season of the witch i i I like those two and the rest are kind of kind of rubbish unfortunately <laughs> okay oh wow okay all right excellent well good good time yeah, we're seeing the only po- good halloween sequel <laughs> yeah it's not a popular opinion um i i don't love horror franchises just because it's another entry i like i am i'm kind of hard on them um similar with like a nightmare on elm street or even the scream movies in some cases like yeah you need to still be a good i'm really excited about a new screen movie but you need to be a good movie yeah. um make a good it movie. needs to make sense yeah. yeah uh and for instance the last screen movie i just didn't really like that one didn't That's either the only one that i didn't really like yeah so it's it's not it's not uh the halloween franchise i think is kind of a disaster but, <laughs> i think a lot of people would agree <laughs> with that yeah. um but they keep making them, and I'm sure we'll get another one in five years or whatever, but we'll see. But Brian, thank you very, very much for the movie coming on. So oh, we didn't rate him. I realized we didn't we didn't rate uh, the fun house. Um, I'm one, four stars for me. I really liked it. I'm also four stars. I, I There's to me a little tension with the last act because it was creepy and unsettling to me for a while. By the last act, I'm not scared. I'm having fun, kind of switching gears. Totally fine, not a problem. But it, it didn't, it didn't gross me out or scare me. It was just unsettling. And then, oh, it's, it's going to be. This is how the movie's going to go, which is fine, but just not as amazing. But anyway, Brian, you, you're the guest. You have the last word here. 
Um, I think actually after our conversation, uh, I would have said four stars, but now I'm saying uh, four and a half. I mm-hmm. I really love this movie. I think there's just a a lot of interesting things going on with it. I think it's it may be a perfect like representation of Toby Toby Hooper, um, where he enjoys toying with the audience and you know the whole ride metaphor and the whole grotesque element. Um, that's all pure Toby Hooper to me. Well said. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Right. Uh, check out, so, deepfocusreview.com, right? Is that? Yep, and uh, at deepfocusreview on Twitter and um, Patreon slash deepfocusreview if you want to support my work. Yeah, I, I, had, I think I mentioned before your Roger, Ra- Roger Rabbit essay was incredible. So just if you want to read something that's an in-depth essay, that movie, amazing stuff. I highly Did recommend Brian it. Did Brian explain how people could possibly be attracted to Jessica Rabbit? Was that in there? <laughs> I don't think that was part uh, of it. No. Okay. No, no, I didn't uh, explain that. Uh, I, uh, I don't think that she's attractive. Uh, I, that element doesn't appeal to me, but uh, the rest of it works really well. I get that she's like supposed to be a sexy person, and my, you know, it works for the plot. But I think it's kind of silly that people are attracted to her. That human beings in the real world are attracted to Jessica. Right, Rabbit. but it didn't cause you to not be able to track the movie because you're like, well, I can't. He's he finds her attractive. This is ludicrous. Um, well, right. I mean, everybody. I mean, there's that happens all the time in movies. Like there are just people who are in relationships, and I, I personally wouldn't be attracted to them. But hey, it seems to be working for Roger and <laughs> Jessica. Sure, Good for them. Yeah. Or or Bob Hoskins being attracted to her. I mean, hey, if it if it works, Bob, go for it. You know. I mean, somebody's got to be attracted to Gunther out there, right? There's got to be somebody that that's their you thing. Think there's, uh, there's a person out there for Gunther. There's Rest in peace. There... <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, he is dead. That's uh, true. So maybe not anymore. Maybe not anymore. There's, there's a sad, lonely person who's never going to get to meet him and have a happy life. So it's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy. Uh, it's a tragedy once we learn that there's that person. Yeah, uh, definitely. True. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, perspective, guys. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Brian. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, rate and review it. Uh, follow it. Subscribe it. Whatever you do, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Always our, was our pleasure. <laughs>